secular society has done a lot with the holidays. Um, during Easter, uh, secular society has taken the attention off of Christ and put it on the Easter bunny. Um, secular society has taken our attention off of Christmas and put it on Santa Claus and elves. Um, secular society has taken Thanksgiving and taken the attention off of the God that has given us every good thing and has put the attention on a bird. Um, there's some things that all Americans are thankful for on Thanksgiving. Uh, we're thankful for our country. We're thankful if you're a Texan, you're thankful for living in Texas. Um, there's certain things that everybody are thankful for. But there's some things that only Christians can be thankful for. And, and that's where the spirit of Thanksgiving comes in. In the book of Habakkuk, um, you can uh, look it up in the table of contents if you'd like. Um, if you don't know where it's at already, or you can look on the screens. There's buried in chapter 3, we find the spirit of thanksgiving. Watch this. Even though fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. I like reading the Bible slow, small portions slow, not a large portions, small portions. And just listen to what they're saying. What he's saying is, he goes, my fig tree is not giving me any figs. When I look out onto the land, people's cattle are dying. The fruit trees are not bearing any fruit. Uh, there's no uh, olives. There are no uh, cattle. There are no grapes. I don't know if there was a famine in the land. I don't know what was going on. But the, the writer is saying... We don't have anything. We don't have what we need. In, in the ancient world, grapes and cattle, incredibly essential. It's essential to us as well, but let's just kind of play the word replacement game. Instead of saying figs and grapes and olives and cattle, what in our life derails us when it's not going well. Uh, what if somebody were to shout out, instead of saying, I don't have any figs, they shout out, I don't have enough money. What if they say, instead of saying, I don't have enough grapes, they're saying, I don't have 
a job. Instead of saying, I don't have cattle in the fields, they're saying, I am so tired of being sick. My wife got incredibly ill last year. Was it last year or two years ago? A year and a half ago? Two years ago? Incredibly ill. No doctors could figure out what was wrong with her. And finally, she came around. She had a, uh, a, a spinal leak in the frontal lobe of her brain was literally drying out because no fluid was going up to the brain. They didn't know that because typically, typically, women who get spinal leaks, it's right after an epidural. And the, the body doesn't heal or clot properly. Well, Allie hadn't had an epidural, so the doctors didn't think down that train of thought. So Allie's brain was drying up. And um, they figured it out, they guessed. And it was really interesting because there was one neurologist that said, I think that you've got a spinal leak. The other doctor said, there's, there's no way she's got a spinal leak. She's, she hasn't had an epidural. Well, she was pregnant at the time with Kate. And so um, they couldn't do an MRI. They couldn't find out if there was a leak. And if there was a leak, where at in her spine was it leaking? Was it leaking up towards her neck? Was it leaking down by the small of her back? They had no idea where it was leaking. And so it was a blind injection of blood to hope that it would clot. Lucky for us, I say lucky, but I know the hand of God was in it, they guessed right. And the blood clotted, if that's how you say it, the, the, the blood built a clot exactly where it needed to. When Allie got back and she could finally stand up, because when, you're, when your brain is drying out, as soon as you stand up, the whole world starts spinning. So for a month and a half, two months, some of you remember she wasn't here. And she ended up saying something to me that I'll never forget. She said, if you have your health, you have a great life. How many of you can raise your hand and, and, and say, I, I know that to be true? Personally, I know that to be true. If you have your health, you have a great life. And, and what if we were to say, instead of saying, I have no figs, I have no grapes, you're saying, I am tired of my body not being healthy. And so when somebody is shouting out, I don't have any figs, I don't have any grapes, I don't have a job, I don't have health, I, I don't have this, I don't have that, how can you be thankful on Thanksgiving Day? We could fake it, which we are all really good at that. We have all know what it's like to show up to work and act like we're happy to be there and we're not. How are you? Good. Lie. Get in the elevator. Hey, good morning. You doing well? Oh, yeah. How about you? Lie. We've learned how to fake it. And so, but how do you have a Thanksgiving and be thankful when there's a list of things that are not going well? 
Well, the writer of Habakkuk says this. He goes, I don't have these things. I don't have the income. I don't have the grapes. I don't have the cattle. I don't have these things. And then he says this powerful word. He says, yet. See, now if I was in a a Southern Baptist church, I would go, yet. And they would go, well. Yet. Yet will I rejoice. You know, I, I feel like everybody has their day where their, they, their bluff gets called. Or your faith goes on trial. That's a better way of saying it. Everybody has a day where your faith goes on trial. And I could probably say it this way. Everybody has a reoccurring season where your faith goes on trial. It's easy to say that you believe and that you love God, but what happens when you're struggling to be thankful? If you're taking notes today, um, why don't you write down this passage, Psalms 119.71, where it says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. It was, it was good that I ran out of grapes. It was good that my body got sick. It was good. It was good because if I were not afflicted, I would have continued to drift away. It was good. It was good. See, Thanksgiving is an interesting thing because we back up and we say, what exactly, if you strip away everything, are you still thankful? And if you are, what are you thankful for? I remember me and my father, our first Thanksgiving after the divorce was at Bennigan's on I-10, just off the Normandy exit. I ate a Monte Cristo. Anyone here ever have a Monte Cristo? And you dip that fried thing into jelly? Angels sing. <laughs> Angels sing. I think there's like 70,000 calories in that meal, but it was good. And I remember sitting there having Thanksgiving with my dad in Bennigan's. And uh, we could have at least went to Luby's and got a bird, but... Um, yeah, it's hard. There's some, there's some years where it's, it's difficult to be thankful. You know, more people get depressed, more people commit suicide during the holidays than any other season out of the year. And why is that? Because when you strip everything away, what can you be thankful for? Everything got stripped away from this writer, and he said, yet I will still worship. Here's the thing. When your faith gets put on trial, how do you respond? How do you respond? Here's the spirit of thanksgiving. Number one is our will. 
I'm going to talk about our will, our strength, and the ability to be sure-footed. Number one is, is our will. He says, I will rejoice and be joyful. I love how he worded that because he says, I will do it. That is the act of the will. That's not something that I feel like doing. I, I am going to will myself to be joyful. You know what's fascinating about the kingdom of God is, is joy comes to those who rejoice. You would think that that's backwards. You would think that joyful people rejoice. Are y'all with me? But that's not how the kingdom operates. The kingdom operates the exact opposite. You will yourself to rejoice, and then joy is the byproduct. See, all too often we wait for joy before we start rejoicing. We got to will ourselves, yet I will rejoice. Yet I will praise him. I will. I, it, is, it is a discipline. Can everybody say discipline? discipline. Look at the person next to you and say discipline. discipline. I read a, a, I've been reading up on discipline lately, and, it, and I shared this numerous of times, but I'll share it again for those of you that haven't heard it. I read this, that if you have a large amount of discipline, you solve a lot of problems. If you only have a little bit of discipline, you only solve some problems. If you have no discipline, you don't solve any problems. All problems are wrapped up in discipline. People with no discipline draw a contrast with people that do have discipline in this way right here. People with discipline live dreams. People without discipline dream dreams. You know what I've learned in my own life about discipline is that if you become disciplined in one area, it is easier to become disciplined in another area. And if you can become disciplined in one area, it's so much easier to become disciplined in two areas. And if you can get two areas of discipline down, getting three is almost a piece of cake. To be disciplined. What is discipline? Discipline is when you tell your body what you're going to do, your feelings don't. This is what we're going to do today. We are going to get up at 6 today. We are going to go pray today. We are going to go to work today and be in an awesome mood. Then we're going to go work out today. And then we're going to go home today and be in a good mood. And then we're going to go to sleep early so we can wake up early. Yep. Now your emotions are like, ah, Hmm. Hmm. You know, uh, you come up with tricks to be disciplined. 
Like I get a sweet tooth a lot. Anyone here <laughs> curse with a sweet tooth? Yeah. You know what I've learned about a sweet tooth is you can kill a sweet tooth. I didn't know this. My wife started laughing, and then I saw her laughing, and she went, but she's trying to be serious. <laughs> you can kill a sweet tooth. I've, I've been doing it like crazy. It's like my little trick now. So when I have to have something sweet, I drink a cup of coffee, and I don't have to have something sweet anymore. You know what I did today is I went and put scope in my mouth, and all of a sudden I didn't have a sweet tooth. You brush your teeth, and all of a sudden your mouth doesn't need sweets. Milk does the same thing. There you go. What about, what about like chocolate milk? Does that work? <laughs> Patricia just said a piece of gum. You know, we ought to just have like a life group and just share tricks with each other, shouldn't we? But it is discipline to figure out how to discipline your body instead of being driven by your body. I, I've noticed that people who have great victories in life, their first victory is always the victory over themselves. There are so many people that dream dreams and then get depressed because the dreams are not manifesting. But there's no discipline. The key ingredient between dreaming a dream and living a dream is discipline. Joy comes to those who rejoice. We all want to be joyful. We need to will ourselves to rejoice. Number two, the, the spirit of thanksgiving, is he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He's saying, there is no grapes. There are no cattle. I will rejoice. And then he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. So he's saying, you donkeys, <laughs> all y'all donkeys, <laughs> all y'all sheep. My, my daughter is two years old, and she's trying to learn how to use words. And um, she was looking at, um, uh, I think it was a, a cup, and we were going to take the cup of milk away. I can't remember. No, it was, it was, it was Luke's remote control for his game. We were taking the remote control away from her, and she goes, No, it's me's. <laughs> <laughs> she just learned me is me, right? No, it's me's. And I was like, I, I connect with you there. I understand that. Other people don't, but you and me, we're right on the same page here. I got a two-year-old. <laughs> but whenever we begin to back up and say, look, that you donkeys, you sheep, you grapes, my health, my finances, none of you guys are pulling through for me. But the Lord is my strength. Now that is a paradigm. That's when he's saying nothing is going well. But yet 
I will worship, yet I will rejoice because God is my strength. There's a lot of human strength out there, different kinds of human strength. There's physical strength, where people like lift heavy things up. There's mental strength. There's financial strength. There's emotional strength. You ever see people go through tough seasons and you're just like, I could never do that. There's emotional strength. But all of those types of strength fail. Every single one. Every single one of those types of strength fails. There's always a perfect storm. But spiritual strength does not fail because you're depending on someone that created everything. Now, how do we tap into that strength? Now, that's, that circles right back around. That's a problem, right? That's a problem. And what solves all problems? Discipline. And if you need God to be your strength and you need his strength in your life and discipline solves on all problems, where do you have to be disciplined in order to access that strength? We are our strongest. We, I, I read this quote recently that if you can't kneel on earth, you will not walk in heaven. We, we've got to reach the place where we say, you are strength. I know that with my mind, but I'm going to discipline my body to get down on my knees because this is the only way I can access your strength. And why am I thankful even though all the grapes, all the cattle, nothing is going well. I'm thankful because I have somewhere to go. And this is the difference between people who are celebrating Thanksgiving that are not Christ followers and people who are. We can be thankful because we have somewhere to run. The psalmist says, I look to the hills where my help comes from. Then he says this. He says, you make me as sure-footed as a deer. So I talked about our will, our strength, and I want to discuss this last point on being sure-footed as a deer. Does anyone here love deer? I love deer. Come on, raise your hand. Is there anyone? Only half the hands are up. What's wrong with you people? You don't like Bambi? How many of you kill deer? Come on, let me see. You kill deer. See, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an interesting dichotomy because I love deer. I'll never kill a deer. But if you kill a deer, I want some. <laughs> I love venison. It's the same way with cow. I would never kill a cow. But I'm going to have me some. <laughs> All right, anyway. He says, you're going to make me as sure-footed as a deer. And you know, why, why, is that, why do I like that part of the passage? Because when I think about deer, I think about several things. Number one is how fast they are. Have you ever watched a deer run? I love watching deer run. They are so 
fast. And when he says, you're going to make me as sure-footed as a deer, I think about speed. I, I think about it this way. You, God, you, have, you are my strength because you have the ability to cause things in my life to accelerate. I've shared this before. Everybody talks about how awesome it was that Jesus turned water into wine. It's not a big deal. It is really not a big deal. In fact, it happened today. It'll happen tomorrow. It's happened for the last several hundred years. Thousands of years. People are turning water into wine. If you go to H-E-B today, I don't care what bottle of wine you bought, somebody took water and turned it into wine. You take grapes, you put it with water, and it turns into wine. It ferments, of course. And people lift up their dresses and stomp on grapes and stuff. But it happens all the time. So why is it such a big deal? Because in order to make a good bottle of wine, it requires time. And Jesus turned water into wine without time. There was no fermenting process. It happened like that. In order to make a quality bottle of wine, it takes years of fermenting. Am I saying that word right? There's a fermenting process. The Lord says, I can, I can do, it takes you years to make something happen, and I can do it in a moment. See, God accelerates things. And when he says, you, you are my strength, the deer have died, the cattle have died, the grapes have died, nothing is going right in my life, but you're my strength, and you can cause things to accelerate any time you want. That's pretty amazing. That's worth being thankful for. You know, um, I'm not going to pick apart every single part of the deer, but I am going to bring up two more favorite parts, how graceful they are. My favorite part of watching deer is when they jump over a fence. Because it looks like it's happening in slow motion, doesn't it? Because they're like, <laughs> kind of like that. And then it's like, boom. It's like, that was cool. It, it just looks effortless when they do it. Has anyone here ever tried to jump over a fence? Raise your hand, even if it was years ago. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> and then a deer does it. It's like, hmm? It's like, what in the world? It's effortless. When he says, Lord, you, you make me as sure-footed as a deer, I see him saying several things. Lord, you can make things accelerate in my life, and when you do it, it can be effortless for me. You can carry the burden. I can carry the burden. You can kick the door down. I can kick the door down. Or God can make our phone ring. That's, that's why we're thankful. When things are not going right, and usually speaking, in most people's life, everything is going right except for one big thing, and it's ruining everything else. And I just want to tell you that whatever that one big thing is, 
call out to your God because he has the ability to accelerate the process to completion where it's effortless for you. One more thing about deer, and Isaiah, you can come on up now, is have you ever <laughs> saw a deer and the deer did not see you? It doesn't happen very much, does it? Like if you see a deer, the deer does not see you. Just wait a second. He will see you. She will see you. They use more senses than just their eyes. It's like... <laughs> their ears are like... Have you ever watched those things? They're like satellite dishes. I've... <laughs> We have a lot of deer come up in our backyard. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this. But I, my wife was like, don't say it. Whatever you're thinking, don't. But I've seen deer look at me going. And I'm like. You can smell me from there? Holy cow. <laughs> so I had to look it up. I'm like, how good are these guys' noses? You know? <laughs> so I looked it up. <laughs> Scientists say that white-tailed deers have thousands of sensitive receptors in their nostrils, which they use to sort up to six smells at one time. You smell all six of us. Well, there's more than six here, but maybe if we come up on them like seven of us, one of us will get them. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I got problems. <laughs> it, makes, it says, you're going to make me as sure-footed as a deer. In order to be as sure-footed as a deer, not only do we have to will ourselves to worship, not only do we have to lean on him for strength, but to be as sure-footed as a deer, we've got to use more senses than just our vision. Because what we see is not all that's happening. 